here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin, this 30th day of December. I'm told it's the final live broadcast of the Mark Levin Show for 2021. About how did this happen? I'm very happy to be a part of that historic moment. Uh, so glad to be here. So glad to be here, and I'm glad you're here too. I love Mark Levin. My the only downside to the fantastic and incredible opportunity that I get here to fill in for Mark Levin is that I don't get to listen to Mark Levin, which I do whenever I can. Uh, I am a backbencher, by the way. I do mornings on WMAL in Washington, D.C. I only joke. Sometimes Mark will say something about backbenchers, and then I'll send him an email and saying, hey, and he goes, oh, I'm not talking about you, Larry. I'm not talking about you. Uh, I am, in fact, Mark Levin's morning show. He lives in the greater Washington, D.C. area, as you know. So in a way, Mark wakes up with me every morning. I'm not sure how to feel about that, but let's just go with it for now, all right? 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to start with, well, some news, I suppose. I mean, you're told in talk radio that you should always lead with the news. You know, what's new? What's hot? What's happening? And and, and I happen to know, by the way, that, that here it is at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You're listening to me whenever you're listening to me, wherever you are in the country, whether it's live or on a slight delay, depending on the market you're in. And I recognize here in this fascinating week between uh, Christmas and New Year's, where all of us just sort of wander around wondering, oh, what, do we say Merry Christmas to people? Do we say Happy New Year? Do we dare to wish somebody a righteous Kwanzaa? We, we're, that, we're betwixt and between here. We're neither here nor there. Well, what is this week exactly? I recognize that that can be somewhat disconcerting. And I also recognize that a lot of people, you know, you, you probably driving home right now. You might not even be going into work tomorrow. You, you, you might be wanting to sort of start your weekend fresh, right? And so, you know, there's news and then there's news. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, what happened today? I need to be filled in on exactly what happened. And, and if you turn to the wrong radio station or the wrong radio show, you're going to hear some host phoning it in. You're gonna, I'm, I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you. You know, they're going to be doing the obligatory, uh, let's do the best year-end lists of media snafus. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't need that. You're too smart for that, all right? I, I, have, I have way too much respect for you to do that to you. So, no, we do have some news right now. We have important news right now. Important news that affects every single one of us. Because as you've seen in the last 24, 36, maybe 48 hours, you've seen a slight but significant shift in the way the Democrat medical complex in our country has been talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. You've seen a distinct and palpable adjustment in terms of how the media, the pop culture, the late night hosts, the politicians, the government officials, the unelected bureaucrats who have been controlling your lives with an iron fist for the last almost two years are starting to rethink everything they've been telling you about this pandemic. Rethink everything they've been telling you you're supposed to do 
to avoid getting the virus, or if you do catch the virus, what you're supposed to do if you do catch it. Have you noticed that palpable shift? Have you noticed the very distinct change in approach? Have you noticed that the CDC director, Ms. Rochelle Walensky, has slashed in half the quarantine time for anybody who's been tested positive? And I just want to lay something out here before we go too deep into it. I'm going to use terms like tested positive for the virus. Now, the government, they'll use words like infected. They'll use words like cases. Oh, you tested positive. You're now a COVID case. Oh, are you really? You test positive for this thing. And by the way, you only took the test because you needed to take the test, because you were told to take the test, because in some cases you were forced to take the test. Maybe you were traveling. Maybe you wanted to go out of the country. Maybe you wanted to go to a special event. Maybe you wanted to return to work. And you were told, uh, you're not walking through these doors until you take the test. So, of course, you went and took the test. And, oh, look at that. You didn't want to take the test. You didn't need to take the test. You didn't have a sore throat. You didn't lose your sense of smell or taste. You didn't have a fever. You didn't have a scratchy throat. You weren't even exposed to anybody. You had no reason to go out and test yourself by sticking a Q-tip up your nose about 17 and a half inches to see if you had this virus. But you were forced to do so. And suddenly you find yourself standing in line for two or three hours with a bunch of other people who don't want to take a test. In some cases, you're standing outside in the cold with a bunch of people crowding around you. This is at a time where we're told we're supposed to practice social distancing and we're supposed to take care of ourselves in the winter months in the East Coast because we don't want to catch a virus. And so what are they doing? They're forcing you to stand out in the cold with a bunch of people around you to get a test to see if you caught a virus, even though you don't have any symptoms of any virus whatsoever. So there you are standing in line. You get your test. You take your test, and lo and behold, you're positive. But you don't have any symptoms. Now, up until three days ago, that would have been a, a prison sentence for you, I mean, for all intents and purposes, especially since during the COVID-19 pandemic, they actually released prisoners out into the street. So same thing as being in prison. The only difference is you have to stay home. You can't go to work. You can't go anywhere. You can't travel. You can't do anything because you are quarantined. For 10 days, you're supposed to do that until suddenly not. Until suddenly they decided, oh, no, no, 10 days is too much. And when I say suddenly, I mean within the last two days. Suddenly the CDC said, oh, yeah, okay, forget everything that we said about the 10-day quarantine. We're going to make an adjustment to that. That isn't necessary. So you, you know, you're dealing with the people who are just following the science, right? You're dealing with the people who are letting the data and the science dictate everything. I mean, they have a bunch of letters after their name, so they've got to know more than you, you poor schmo. So they go, oh, okay. So we're going to make an adjustment to what we were told was the scientific remedy, which is a 10-day quarantine. So then what's the adjustment? Are they going to go to a, what, eight-day quarantine? Maybe a seven-day quarantine? What, what's the appropriate adjustment when you're going, you know, for two years now, we've had a 10-day quarantine. Even if you don't have symptoms, you got to stay home and you stay away from people and you lock yourself. Remember when Chris Cuomo locked himself in his basement? God knows what went on in that basement. For 10 days, they did, right up until this week. And now the science dictates, oh, do you cut it 30%? Do you cut it 20%? No, no, no. They cut it in half. 
to five days. It was 10 days, now it's five days. And why? Why? Is it because further study of the virus told them that? Is it because further study of asymptomatic spread of the virus told them that? Is it because, is it because any sort of health measures or studies told them this? No, this is what Walensky told CNN really had a lot to do with what um, we thought people would be able to tolerate. We have seen relatively low rates of isolation um, for all of this pandemic. Some science has demonstrated less than a third of people are isolating when they need to. And so we really want to make sure that we had guidance in this moment where we were going to have a lot of disease that could be adhered to, that people were willing to adhere to, and that spoke um, spe specifically to when people were maximally infectious. So it really um, spoke to both behaviors as well as what people were able to do. So it's, be, it's, their, it's your behaviors. It's whether you could tolerate it or not. That's the scientific decision. Now, that's what she's telling you, but I think that there's more to it than that. Because let's face it, in, in, in conservative states, Republican states, southern states, states with, uh, with, with Republican governors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there have been adjustments to all of these policies for months and months and months. Remember when there was an adjustment to the mask policy like eight months ago and down in Florida and in Texas and Joe Biden called them all Neanderthals? Right. So so people have been doing that. You know, when Walensky says, oh, this really has to do with the tolerance people would have or wouldn't have. for." Well, so I, it really had a lot to do with what um, we thought people would be able to tolerate. Yeah. Seen... What people can tolerate. Let me tell you something, dear. We've been doing this for almost two years and we didn't tolerate it from the very beginning. This isn't about what people will tolerate because people have been protesting and complaining and whining and and rightly so about these things for Almost two years. What's the difference? The difference is it's their pals who are affected now. It's people in D.C. and New York around the holidays, for that matter. Suddenly, they are now seeing their friends and their colleagues. You know, the good people, the better people, the cool kids. The cool kids are catching the virus, and they don't like staying home for 10 days. The cool kids catch the virus, and they don't have any symptoms. Thank God. You'd think that'd be good news. The cool kids catch the virus. They don't have any symptoms, and they're told they have to stay home for 10 days. Well, that's outrageous. Well, you went to that cocktail party in the Hamptons with that nice Dr. Walensky, didn't you? Why don't you send her a phone? Give her a call. Send her an email. Remember when we got to go to the opera opening night with that... Tony Fauci, he gave you his card, didn't he? Why don't you reach out to him? I'm sure they can make an exception. And looky here, exceptions have been made. Now, that's the news this week, and it's not just this change of the quarantine. There's the acknowledgement that the PCR test, after you've gotten a positive test and you no longer have symptoms, you can still get a positive result up to 12 weeks after you first contracted the virus, that was also revealed this week. Oh, yes, it was. You have multiple, multiple media figures from, from that lunatic Jennifer Rubin in the Washington Post to the equally loon Chris Hayes over at MSNBC openly saying, you know, maybe we've reached a point now where we have to stop cowering in fear and hiding from this and stopping our economy and shutting everything down and ruining our children's lives because we're afraid to catch the virus. Maybe we have to recognize that we have to figure out a way that the virus isn't going to go away. We need to figure out how best to live with this virus. 
and protect protect the older people and protect the people who are most vulnerable, but not shut everything down because that is catastrophic as well. Now, now you and I, we hear that and we might be thinking, well, I'm sure I've heard that before. In fact, I'm sure I heard that in March. Oh, no, no, not March of 21, March of 20, when this thing first started. And you'd be right, because that's what we've been saying. In fact, that's what some governors have been doing. Protect the vulnerable and get back to life as normal as possible and recognize this is a terrible thing. And thank God we've got science that shows us who is the most vulnerable and who is not. And we do extreme measures to make sure that those people who are most vulnerable are protected without taking their rights away from them, without taking their freedoms away from them, without robbing them of their dignity or their ability to function or see their family members or work and earn a living if they want to. But if they want to hide themselves because they're terrified of the virus, go, go with God. That's what is so great about this country. Many of us have been functioning that way. But now we've got this this bizarro world where Anthony Fauci, of all people, is trying to tell you that that's what he's been saying all along. You shut down society, when you shut down the, the, the country, there's a lot of deleterious effects that go along with that, that go well beyond the economy. Wow, where have we heard that before? Oh, oh, I know. We heard it on March 24th, 2020, just a couple of days into the first shutdown. We heard it from this guy. Look, you're going to lose a number of people to the flu, but you're going to lose more people by putting a country into a massive recession or depression. You're going to lose people. You're going to have suicides by the thousands. You're going to have all sorts of things happen. You're going to have instability. You can't just come in and say, let's close up the United States of America, the biggest, the most successful country in the world by far. Yeah. And he was right. He was right then. We were all right in echoing it and repeating it ourselves and writing about it and and even demonstrating about it. We were right. But they dominated and they had their way. And now, not only, listen, I welcome, I embrace the fact that they're actually coming around to where we've been for almost two years. But I don't embrace the idea that they're trying to cover their tracks and claim that they've been this way all along. Coming up, we're going to explain a little bit further to you why this is really just about the cool kids getting the virus. And how now they're trying to pretend that this has always been the plan. It's a damnable lie. You're too smart for it, and they think you're stupid, but we know better. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Mark Levin here at 877-381-3811. I'm sorry to ruin your your New Year's Eve Eve here. That's a thing, right? You're staying up till midnight and then celebrating New Year's Eve. It's very exciting. You, you see, you see this as New Year's Eve Eve. You see it as the day before New Year's Eve. I see it as the day before Michigan plays Georgia in the Orange Bowl. That's that's what I see. Go blue. So I hate to ruin this exciting New Year's Eve Eve by making you listen to this guy. But it's critically important for you to hear what he's saying now. What he's saying, December 30th, 2021. He's saying what we said in March of 20 when this guy proposed the shutdown in the first place. Listen. The purpose of it was is that given the wave, the extraordinary unprecedented wave of infections that we are experiencing now and will certainly experience more of in the next few weeks, that there is the danger that there will be so many people who are being isolated, who are asymptomatic for the full 10 days, that you could have a major negative impact you think? on our ability to keep society running. Where the hell has he been? So the decision was made, although it's not completely risk-free, of saying, let's get that cut in half so that we could have 50%, namely half of the 10 days, and 50% of that time, people can actually be out with a mask in society. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Listen, I, I've got more to say about this. And 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 ultimately, here's what you need to understand. I, I, I shorthanded it here and said, you know, the real issue is that the cool kids caught the virus. The cool kids, you know, they were fine with all of these draconian shutdowns and mandates and instructions and 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 decisions that you had to make for your children because you only have the government run schools to stick them in. You know, while they uh, stick their kids in the private schools, they were fine with all of that until they saw the negative impact. But now that the cool kids have the virus, they change all the rules. And a little bit more, it's critically important here, a little bit more evidence that we've seen uncovered just in the last couple of days from the elites, the Democrat medical complex, where most of this, it's revealed now, was driven by class and what they think of you. Keep it here. O'Connor in for Mark Levin. Mark Levin says today what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin today on this 30th day of December. And yeah, I'm... I'm calling it the Democrat medical complex and people who uh, uh, get it and understand and have been around for a while. You understand that this is a very loving hat tip to my dear departed friend, Andrew Breitbart, who, oh, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Coming up this March 1st, what, two, two months from now, we will be uh, acknowledging the 10-year anniversary of Andrew's passing, his sudden passing at the age of 43, that uh, horrific night. Uh, I worked with Andrew. Andrew brought me into this whole world here. 
of of column uh, being a columnist and and internet journalist and and radio host i'd be nowhere without andrew breitbart he was an incredible guy and and he coined the phrase democrat media complex democrat media complex talked about how the the obvious handshake i mean he boy talk about ahead of your time he saw it he revealed it donald trump exposed it you know with kerosene and a blowtorch this this symbiotic corrupt relationship between the mainstream media the media industry and it is an industry trust me they're not they're not in and for for pulitzers okay they're in it for bucks it's a huge industry all these media outlets are owned by giant corporations they use the government the government uses them and it's all controlled within the Democratic Party, this symbiotic relationship. And Andrew coined it as the Democrat media complex, this, this corrupt relationship, this, this waltz every day of our lives between the people who tell you and lie to you that they're objective journalists just telling you the truth, just delivering facts to you. Yeah, I, I'm going to trust the facts coming from George Stephanopoulos. Oh, I'm sure that there's no bias there. When, in fact, they're doing the work of the Democrat Party and the, what's now referred to as the swamp, the, the entrenched bureaucracy of federal government in Washington, D.C. That's the Democrat media complex. Well, what we've seen grow as a monster over the last two years and absolutely paralyze what we used to refer to as everyday American life in this country is what I'd like to call the Democrat medical complex. Trust the doctors, trust the science. The nurses and the doctors are all so overburdened that they can barely choreograph their next TikTok dance. And if you dare argue with them, if you dare disrupt what their agenda is, if you dare challenge them on what they know because they're smarter than you, damn it. If you dare challenge them on what they know is really the right thing for you to do, if you would just listen to them and do it, well, you're an insurrectionist and a Neanderthal. What have we heard Fauci say in the past? Oh, pe people are worried about their freedoms. Well, what good are freedoms if you're dead? Seriously? I mean, we've come a long way from Valley Forge, haven't we? I wonder, and I'd love, I'd really, this is the beauty of the Mark Levin Show. It's wide reach and the incredible people that listen every night. I wonder... If, I, if you are one of the vulnerable people for this virus, and then listen, I'm not denying science. I obviously, listen, I've been vaccinated. My doctor recommended it for me. It made sense for me. I am vaccinated. I respect this virus. I know that it's killed people. I don't think it's phony. I don't think it's fake. I'm not one of those people who think it was, you know, a part of a giant international cabal of the Rothschilds and Bill Gates. And all they had to go away with that stuff. No. Of course, it's a real virus. Of course, people caught it. And of course, people died. Don't be a moron. But we also know, because of the facts involved, that the people who died most frequently, most likely to die, are people who are incredibly older on the grand scale of things. No offense. If you're older than 75 years old, God bless you. I love you. I want you to live for 30 more years. But the fact of the matter is you are one of those people who are on the high end scale of vulnerability from this virus. You should have gotten specific protections if you so wanted them. We also know the people who are obese and very overweight. People that had, had what they, of course, referred to now as comorbidities, pre-existing conditions, lung problems, other aspects of their health that were already deteriorated where this insidious, obnoxious, evil virus 
absolutely took advantage of every vulnerability in those people's bodies and they debilitated them. It's been awful. I've had friends who were completely healthy who caught this virus, but because they were of a certain age and maybe a little overweight, boy, did it hammer them hard. They got out of it. They're good. But they got hit hard by it. Thank God I've steered clear of it so far. I'm going to get it at some point. I think we all sort of feel like we're all going to get it at some point. So let me get back to asking you, if you happen to be in one of those categories, if you are over the age of, let's say, 65, if you perhaps have a pre-existing lung condition, my dear father-in-law had a horrible pneumonia bout when he was younger. He has scar tissue on his lungs. His doctor said, dude, you take this seriously. And trust me, he would prefer not to, I think, <laughs> but he has to. All right. There are people like that who have pre-existing conditions. Maybe they're a little overweight and their doctors have said, yes, you are incredibly vulnerable. So here's my question for you. Have you been faced with this issue with your children or your grandchildren where your loved ones have told you, we're not coming over for Christmas. We're not coming over for Mother's Day. We're not coming over for your birthday because we don't want to make you sick. We don't want to bring this virus to you because we don't want you to get sick and die. Have you been confronted with this? And have you said to your loved ones, I get it and I appreciate it and I love you too, but I would rather hug my grandchildren. I would rather see you than be isolated from you and maybe buy how many more years in my life. Now, I know that that's a cold, harsh thing to say. And, and, and the reason I want to hear from you on this is because I'm not there. I'm not there. So I'm not going to presume. 877-381-3811. I see this all the time of journalists, you know, the Rachel Maddows of the world, the George Stephanopoulos, the Chuck Todds, the Jake Tabbers. Can you believe these cold, callous, angry Republican and conservatives and those crazy, out-of-control Trumpers who are willing to kill your grandma and grandpa because they just want to get back to normal? It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. And you know that's not what I'm saying. Here's the thing. George Stephanopoulos and Chuck Todd and Rachel Maddow and Jake Tapper, they're not 75 years old. They don't have grandchildren that they may never see again. They are not facing the reality of living in isolation for two years without seeing their loved ones because they are one of the vulnerable people who could succumb from this virus. In the same way, I shouldn't presume to step forward and say, ah, to hell with it, just let everybody do whatever they want. And if grandma dies, grandma dies. I'm not saying that. I don't presume to say it because I'm not grandma. But neither is Jake Tapper, as far as I know. So I want to hear from you. You have a right to have a say in this. Have you been faced with this choice? What choice have you made? Do you choose to stay isolated and not run the risk of catching this virus? Or have you chosen, I understand the risk, I accept the risk, I want to be around my loved ones? What did you do? 877-381-3811. And why isn't that even in the mix? Why isn't that conversation even allowed? One thing I do know, the man sitting in the White House right now, directing all of these decisions, forcing them on you, imposing them on you, dictating them on you, He's one of those vulnerable people. 
He's got several grandchildren. Some of them he acknowledges, yeah, one or two, we're not sure about because Hunter was involved in a pole dancer. Let's pretend they're not there. But he's got them. And last I checked, when he has a big holiday celebration, when he has a big moment in his life, like his inauguration, he seems to have everybody around him. How come that 79-year-old doesn't even have to consider or think twice about whether he can have his children and grandchildren extended family around him? Funny how that works, isn't it? But you, you need to take one for the team. As Biden would say, it's your patriotic duty. Really? Well, have you done that? Have you? Or would you like to actually have a voice in this discussion? 877-381-3811. And as I said, I go back to this idea that the cool kids are catching COVID now, so the rules have to change to accommodate them. Let me explain the cool kids thing. Everything is so much easier if you acknowledge that Washington, D.C., federal government, national politics, it's pretty much high school, right? And in high school, you got your cool kids. You had the cool kids that pretty much ran the campus, and they got to decide things. And the rest of you, they look down on the rest of you. The rest of you park in the wrong parking lot, right, and get the wrong kind of car. Oh, you didn't get a new car when you turned 16? Oh, what's wrong with you, right? That's what we're talking about here. And in this case, with COVID-19, for the last two years, a lot of the cool kids were, weren't really cool kids, but now they've, they're drunk with the cool kid power. They're doctors, okay? They're doctors, and they got lots of letters after their name, and they get to grandstand. They finally had their moment in the sun. They finally had their moment in the sun where they could put their Twitter profile out there with a mask on, right? If you see anybody on Twitter who still has a picture of themselves wearing a mask now, two years into this, you know exactly who I'm talking about. You know exactly what kind of grandstanding, self-gratifying posturing they engage in. And this one tweet from this one doctor, she's an epidemiologist, she's a professor at a university, and she specializes in infectious diseases. And this tweet that she took out to social media, because they just can't help themselves, anything that happens in their life, they have to share it on social media because it's got to mean something. I mean, this happened to me, so it must mean something bigger. I could change someone's life. I better tweet about it. So here's what Dr. Haley Bannock, and I, I mentioned her name, is because it's public. She put it out there. So God bless it. You get the good and the bad with it. She put it out here on Twitter. I'll read what she said. She said, I tested positive for COVID on Sunday. As an ultra-cautious, triple-vaccinated, always-maskerer, I was shocked and very afraid. Now listen to me here. I'm going to pause here. There's more to say, but, but that right there is so revealing. She's a doctor. And she describes herself as ultra-cautious, triple-vaccinated, always-masker. And she caught COVID. I was shocked. How are Next, you're going to tell me that our personal behavior doesn't have a whole lot to do with who catches this virus or not. Shocked. Where the hell has she been? Because this is why she would make that statement. Because until this very moment when she saw that positive result on her test, she truly thought that any of y'all who have caught this virus over the last two years, it's your fault. It's your fault because you're, you're a Neanderthal, you live in a state that put a DeSantis in the governor's mansion, or you're playing fast and loose, you don't respect science, you probably think the earth is flat, you're an anti-vaxxer, or, or maybe you were trying to be safe, but you were confronted by one of those scary people. Otherwise, why would she be shocked? And then she goes on. Listen, this is, this is the next sentence that reveals even more. 
To my surprise, I felt ashamed and embarrassed. How could I have let this happen? How could I have put my family at risk? I, she emphasizes the I here. Me, how could this happen to me? How could, how could this happen to me, me of all people? I mean, the self-righteous arrogance that's wrapped up in this moment from her is so revealing in terms of who's been making decisions in our lives for the last two years and who's been having to suffer with those decisions. I felt ashamed and embarrassed, she says. Why? Why would someone feel ashamed and embarrassed over catching a highly contagious virus? I mean, uh, unless, you know, we're talking syphilis, gonorrhea, you know. I think I mentioned I made, I made a chlamydia joke last week on the Mark Levin. That may be the first time in history on the Mark Levin show that someone made a joke about chlamydia. Yeah, but 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 the point is, you know, I can understand somebody's like, oh, my God, I got herpes. Well, that's kind of embarrassing, right? <laughs> it's like, where have you been, right? Oh, here we go with my uh, gonorrhea again. All right, maybe you, maybe you should make some lifestyle choices, right? <laughs> make better choices and maybe you will get those viruses I get but why would anyone feel ashamed and embarrassed over catching the coronavirus unless this virtue signaling arrogant self-righteous doctor has always associated embarrassing and shameful connotations with those who have tested positive over the last almost two years now Clearly, this doctor has spent the last two years looking down her nose at people who caught COVID. She clearly thought there was something wrong with those people. Otherwise, why would she even think there was something wrong with herself right now? Now, this is the single example stands for a much larger picture. This doctor, like so many others who have recently tested positive for COVID, they, they proclaim herself to be one of the right kind of people, right? All of them think they're the right kind of the people. An ultra-cultures, uh, triple-vaccinated, always masker. It's critically important to observe that Fauci and Biden and the media and late-night talk show hosts, they've all taken this attitude that if you just do what you're told, you'll be safe from the virus. If you're irresponsible, meaning if you don't do what they order you to do, you're going to get sick. And now suddenly all their pals who have done all the right things and were the right kind of people and were the cool kids, they're all getting sick. And that's all we needed for this thing to turn. That's all we needed for the final slow return to normalcy. Don't expect apologies from them. Don't expect admissions of fault, even small concessions that maybe they didn't get everything right. No, no, no. They're going to maintain that all of these draconian authoritarian mandates kept all you stupid yokels alive this whole time. And only now things can loosen up because, well, you know, it's the nature of the virus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't believe it. We, we won't let you believe it, and we won't let them off the hook. We won't let them forget it. Don't forget, it was March 24th, 2020, just a few days into the shutdown. Look, you're going to lose a number of people to the flu, but you're going to lose more people by putting a country into a massive recession or depression. You're going to lose people. You're going to have suicides by the thousands. You're going to have all sorts of things happen. You're going to have instability. You can't just come in and say, let's close up the United States of America, the biggest, the most successful country in the world by far. That's what they were saying. That's what we were saying. That's what he was saying within the first weeks of this thing. They come around now. Good for them. But we will not let them forget it, especially with what they did to our children. More on that in a moment. I want to hear from you as well. I see many of you lining up here. Grandmas, grandpas, if you had to make this choice about isolation 
or seeing your family? What did you do? It's Larry O'Connor. I'm in for Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Listen, uh, just a couple minutes here, and I see I've got a full board of calls. I want to I want to be able to spend time with y'all. I see all of you waiting there, including Shirley in Newport, uh, California, where I went to high school at Colonel Lamar High School. Go see King. So I'll tell you what, if y'all can hold on, I want to take all your calls coming up uh, after the break here um, because it's too important. I mean, listen, I know we're all fatigued from COVID. We're all fatigued. But here's the deal. This is the week between Christmas and New Year's, and they're trying to sneak all this crap through and pretend like they won't be held accountable for what they've done to us. And we're not going to allow that. So we have to talk about it, and we have to have your voice as part of the mix. Unlike what you see on cable news with, you know, try calling Anderson Cooper and saying, yeah, Anderson, longtime viewer, first time caller. I'd love to take issue with something you just said. No, they, they don't let you do that. Well, here you're part of what we do. And coming up next, you're going to take the reins here. I want to hear from you, especially those of you who might be vulnerable with your comorbidities. You're, you're in the danger zone. Have you made that choice? You've got your vaccine. You protect yourself. You do not want to isolate. You want to see your loved ones. Did you do that? Your voice needs to be heard. And I'll hear it while I'm here. It's Larry O'Connor. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin, today. Thanks so much for being part of this evening extravaganza. Very excited to hear from you at 877-381-3811. By, by uh, brief means of ex- uh, introduction here, uh, I've been doing radio for over 10 years now in the Washington, D.C. area on WMAL, the powerhouse, number one talk radio station in the nation. And we're also, of course, Mark Levin's home station as he lives in the area too uh so I'm, I'm happy to say as the morning show host on wmal that uh mark levin wakes up with me i take that for what it is don't read too much into it uh but we're very very excited to be uh, talking to you tonight the only downside is that i don't get to listen to mark levin i know what it's like trust me i've been in your shoes i'm a huge fan of talk radio you're you're ready it needs your fix for levin and oh, it's a guest host well bear with me here it's a, it's, it's, I'm no Levin, but I do my best. Uh, meanwhile, and I started out, by the way, I mentioned Andrew Breitbart. I started out in this whole career uh, working for Andrew Breitbart years and years and years ago, about, gosh, 14 years ago, it turns out, um, when we first met and started working together and uh, haven't looked back. I've loved every bit of it. I now write at townhall.com, no longer with the Breitbart sites, uh, but I was with them for many years as the editor of Breitbart TV. I now write at Town Hall, where I'm a senior columnist alongside the great Kurt Schlichter and Derek Hunter and Katie Pavlich and the whole team there over at Town Hall. Check out my columns when you can, if you would. 
Uh, and we're discussing right now, oh, oh one other bit of uh, information I should share with you. Somebody reached out on uh, social media and said, Larry O'Connor, is, is it true that you drive a Tesla? It is true that I drive a Tesla. Hear me out for a minute. A great American-made car, high-quality stuff, by the way, made by one of the most accomplished African-Americans in our history, uh, Elon Musk. And Biden hates him, by the way, so that's got to be a good thing, right? Uh, but hear me out. I did not get a Tesla for any political reason or environmental reason. I honestly couldn't care less as to whether it ran on electricity or gasoline. I'm actually a little annoyed at the uh, the big... I come from Detroit. I was born in Detroit originally, right? That's why I'm so excited about my Wolverines beating up on the Georgia dogs tomorrow night in the Miami uh, Orange Bowl there. Um, I come from Detroit, and I'm, I'm annoyed that Ford or Chrysler or GM couldn't put together their engineering know-how and design a car as great as a Tesla. It is a fantastic car. And again, I couldn't care. Stick a V8 in there, and I'm all over it, all right? So, so just so you know, when I come home from driving on all that disgusting, smarmy, clean energy, the, the, the one downside of the Tesla is there's not nearly enough carbon emissions as I go. I miss my carbon emissions. The smell of those carbon emissions are intoxicating. So I get home to my beautiful home, and uh, my wife Meredith and I, if it's wintertime, we go right to the fireplace and we start burning stuff. We just we throw logs in there. We throw, we'll find a cat in the neighborhood and throw it in there, anything to burn more carbon. It's our carbon offset. If it's summertime, we'll do a fire pit in our front yard. And most of we, oh, it's, it's, it's insane. We just burn whatever. We find some old tires at a junkyard and we burn the tires and just start smewing black smoke everywhere. We live in Maryland, so no one really notices. Okay, and uh, because that's just you know that's just Baltimore being Baltimore, right? It's about oh, there goes another CVS CVS up for grabs. That's what's going on. So we so we do our own sort of carbon offsets when we come home from driving the clean energy vehicle, the Tesla. So don't, I don't want you to misunderstand who I am or what I stand for. I love the car. Couldn't care less about the carbon emissions. Now we've been discussing the COVID nineteen policies of this authoritarian regime, what I'm calling the Democrat medical complex, where the party, along with the media, work hand in glove with these tyrannical, authoritarian, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who have made your life miserable for the last two years. And now they're trying to weasel out of it. They're trying to suggest, oh, we were always on board with this. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. This is why, please, this is, of course, it's, it's, we've, we've always planned uh, what was what was the the thing that uh, uh, that that uh, uh, Biden said with regard to this being it's not a federal issue right here? Was, uh... Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. Really? Because when he was running for the office that he's cravenly wanted his entire political career without actually having any sort of worldview or political philosophy that goes anywhere beyond his own personal craven, egotistical, narcissistic political ambition when he was running for office he said i'm not going to shut down the country but i'm going to shut down the virus before i'm not going to shut down the economy i'm not going to shut down the country i'm going to shut down the virus i would say is i'm going to shut down the virus not the country yeah. i'm not going to shut down the country i'm going to shut down the virus i'm going to shut down the virus yeah you get the picture right that's what he was saying the whole time and when things were getting a little dicey there at the beginning you know he came in okay it's time i'm president i'm going to get sworn in i'm going to shut down the virus what was his plan well pretty much just to implement the vaccine that his predecessor had moved heaven and earth to create all right so what's your plan well, we got this vaccine and uh, we want everyone to get it. Really? 
So let me just ask you something, sir. You campaigned on the idea that you're going to shut down the virus. And at the time, shutting down the virus, you're saying that, you know, May, June, July, August, there was no vaccine. So now you get sworn in and, oh, hey, look what just got left under the Resolute desk here. Well, the previous guy left this little box here. Apparently there's some hypodermic needles. Apparently we've got a vaccine. So if you didn't get the vaccine, if Operation Warp Speed hadn't changed modern American medicine as we know it, the way Donald Trump engineered when you were running for office, if there was no vaccine, what exactly was your plan for shutting down the virus? Why isn't anybody in the media asked that question? If it weren't for the vaccine, what was your plan? Because when you told us so many times you were going to shut down the virus, you didn't have a vaccine, dude. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a question he doesn't have an answer for, and that's why it never gets asked. So then things are like three, four months into it, and, you know, it's not going so great. And, oh, guys, the virus is still here. And, and suddenly some governors like DeSantis and Abbott down in Texas, Nome over in South Dakota to a lesser degree, they start saying, you know what? We live in a constitutional republic. We governors, we actually call the shots here. We're going to be doing some things different. We're ignoring what Biden's telling us to do because guess what? It ain't working. In his favorite states where the governors are doing whatever he says, like New York, like Illinois, like California, it's not working. You know how we know? Because our states are being flooded with those people. You can't walk down the street in Texas without tripping over a Californian. You know which ones are the Californians because as they're lying in the street as homeless people drinking themselves into oblivion they've got uh very nice birkenstocks gotta hand it to them yeah good footwear there in california you can't walk down a beach in florida without tripping over a new yorker so these governors know exactly what's not working in those states so they went ahead and went their own way back in you know march april may what did biden say then if some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. I say to these governors, please help. But if you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way of the people who are trying to do the right thing. When he says please help, what he means is do what we tell you. And if you're not going to do what we tell you, as you just heard him, get out of the way. That was then, and this is now. Look, there is no... Federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. Uh-huh. He ran for office saying that he, single-handedly, through the federal government, was going to stop this thing. And, oh, by the way, you should fire Trump, replace him. He doesn't deserve to be president because he hasn't done that, because he hasn't come up with a federal solution. Now a year in, he's figured out, oh, this is kind of hard. And this feeble old man mumbles his way through this statement. It's, it's, we're giving him incredible grace and courtesy by even pretending we understand what he's mumbling and interpreting it for you. Any other politician addressing the nation's governors, like, as my father used to say, a fertilizer salesman with a mouthful of samples, we'd be attacking that. But instead, we'll, we'll just go after the substance for now. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. Yeah. I do like the fact that he's talking about coronavirus for the last week, and he's been coughing and hacking his lungs up through every address. He has no plan. He didn't have a plan. His plan was to con his way into the White House. And if he could use coronavirus to do it, he would. Look at his track record, okay? This is what he does. When he ran for office back in the 80s, he was going to win no matter what. So how could he do it when he wanted to be president? He stole someone else's speeches. 
Uh, we got a great speech here. It's from Neil Kinnock in the Labor Party in England. Oh, give it to me. I'll give it here. You know, Americans are too stupid. They don't know a British politician speech. You know, he'll do whatever it takes to win an election. He smarmed his way onto the ticket by pretending he knew something about foreign policy when everybody knew Barack Obama knew nothing about foreign policy. Getting himself on the ticket with Barack Obama was in some way comforting to people. It's like, well, at least we have an old Washington hand. Oh, yeah, that's what I want, an old Washington hand like Joe Biden. So he gets on the ticket, and what does he do? He's a ruthless, despicable, obnoxious politician who tears down anyone who dares to get in the way of his ambition. Look how he treated his old pal John McCain during that election. Look how he treated Mitt Romney during the re-election when he told a black audience that Mitt Romney was so racist he was going to put them all back in chains. His entire political career, he does whatever it takes and destroys whoever's in his way to get what he wants, which is just the narcissistic ego stroke of the next election win. And in this case, it was the presidency in 2020, and he used the virus, he politicized the virus, he weaponized the virus to attack Trump, to keep you down, to change voting laws unilaterally across the country, only in the states where he had a chance to be able to swing things one way or the other. And he conned his way into the White House. And now here he is a year later. And it turns out, gee, this whole governing thing, it's a lot more than just posing in front of a backdrop and having the Marines in front of Marine One salute you because they don't have a choice. Look at all these great Marines in their dress blues. They must really, really like me and honor me and respect me because they salute me wherever I go, whenever I walk through a door that they're guarding at the White House. No, sir, that's their job. I assure you. You should not read too much into it, Mr. President. A year into this thing, when things are going rough... Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. He's right, though. He is absolutely right. Uh, That's always been the case. And that's actually, by the way, exactly what you were told by the President of the United States during the campaign in 2020. When he was being hammered by Joe Biden for not doing enough at the federal level, Donald Trump said, yeah, well, you know what? Here's a weird thing, a big difference between you and I, Joe. I've actually read the Constitution, and I respect it. We know Joe Biden hasn't. Just look at his track record. And he's governing that way. Now when federalism suits his needs, ah, it's a state thing, really. Fine. Fine. So let's start having that conversation going forward. The one voice that hasn't been part of any of the discussions of these authoritarian lockdowns and these totalitarian protocols on our children in schools, three-year-olds having to wear masks, and grandparents being locked away and cloistered in solitude, away from their loved ones, not being able to embrace their own children and grandchildren. These horrific stories and these video images that you see of children seeing their their parents or their grandparents, you know, through windows, shouting at them from the ground floor up to their third floor apartment window because they're not allowed to see them in person lest they kill grandma. Well, grandma hasn't had a seat at the table. Grandma and grandpa haven't been able to say, listen, I appreciate the concern. Tony, Joe, but could I please make a choice here? That's what freedom's all about. That's what liberty's all about. And as someone in their 70s, I would actually rather see my loved ones around me 
than be isolated for two years. Because these are two years that I'm not going to get back. And they're two years, sadly, closer to the end of my life than the beginning of my life. That's just the reality of a 70-year-old. Unless you're Methuselah, God bless you. But we're not living in the times of Genesis right now. That voice isn't allowed to be heard. And it's pretty rich coming from Fauci and Biden, since they're both, you know, of a pretty vulnerable age. And last time I checked, Fauci goes to whatever baseball game he wants to go to. He goes to whatever concert in D.C. he wants to go to or any restaurant or any dinner party that he wants to go to. Joe Biden, he has his family around him all the time. So what about you? Have you faced this exact issue? And what has your choice been? If you are vulnerable... Have you opted for having your loved ones around you and acknowledging the risk rather than stay isolated? And what do you want us to do as a policy going forward? I think that's a worthy conversation. Therefore, we're going to have it right now because this is the place for worthy conversations. 877-381-3811. This place that I'm referring to for worthy conversations, it's the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Your call's next. Mark Levin. in for Mark Levin. Call me the, uh, the pretty good one. Hardly the great one. Love me some Mark Levin whenever I can get it. But I'm glad you're here as we uh, wrap up 2021 here in stellar fashion, if possible. I've been saying a lot about this virus and about the, the Democrat medical complex that's been controlling your life. I want to hear from you now. And as promised, I want to start with Shirley in Newport Beach, because I grew up in Newport. That's where I went to high school at Corona Del Mar. She's listening on the mighty KRLA 870 there in Southern California. Hi, Shirley. Happy New Year. Hi, Larry. Nice to talk to you. So what's on your mind? So I wanted to tell you, I wanted to tell you that I'm 81. I have not taken the vaccine. I did get the hydroxychloroquine and antibiotics and have it in my medicine cabinet in case I get the COVID. But to me, this is all about control and compliance. They've generated a lot of fear, just like they did during the AIDS uh, epidemic. And we have therapeutics that will work, but they have refused to let the doctors prescribe them and even shut down the pharmacies from filling those prescriptions. Uh, I just think it's terrible. And so many lives could have been saved had they been allowed to use everything that was available at the time to stop this virus. Surely it, it is absolutely outrageous that and, and striking that there's hardly any talk of therapeutics. I mean, we've got this virus, it's been two years, and and why aren't any of the professionals talking about, okay, if you get it, this is what you should do? That, that You would think that that would be a big part of that conversation. Um, and I appreciate you laying out what you've chosen to do as an 81-year-old woman. Can I ask you, did, did your doctor advise you on this, or, or did, does he know what your choices have been? I just got over breast cancer a year ago, and I just got it all clear about three months ago. Oh, God bless Of course, they are on me to get that vaccine, but I said, no, I won't take it. I just won't. They're pushing it so hard. It yeah. makes me very suspicious. And I listened to Robert Malone, who developed the RMNA, and, yeah. and he said it should not have been used. In, Surely, in and, and I'm just real fast because I only have about 20 seconds left. Are you still seeing your loved ones and have people around you and just sort of living your life at 81? Absolutely. I have 
There you go, baby. I haven't let this disrupt my life at all. That's the key. Shirley's an 81-year-old woman. She's been around a while, and she's making a choice for herself. And, boy, there's something like that. that, that Sounds kind of American. American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. I want to do the um, standard disclaimer that I have to put out there since we're talking about the virus and people are calling in, talking about their therapeutic strategies and about the vaccines. And again, I've, I've been saying it from the beginning. I say it forever. I'm fully vaccinated. I've taken the virus. Although, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is the latest uh, definition of fully vaccinated? I feel, I'm sorry. I got now. Now I realize I don't want to give you fake news. I, I'm I'm what we all used to consider to be fully vaccinated, right? I got I got the two shots. That's that's what I got. I two shots, and and I I deferred to other people to get them before me because I was able to be isolated and work from home for a long time, and I wanted other. But when it was my turn, I I got the shot. You know, unlike your government school teachers, your union school teachers who insisted to be the first in line to get the shots and then still refused to go back to the schoolroom. I, I wasn't like that. I didn't insist. But I got them. I got them. My family got them. It was the right thing for various reasons in our family to do. But I also respect people who, for their own medical purposes, have chosen not to. Um, I think that that's the way we should treat each other in this country, to have some respect for individual choices, especially when it comes to people's health. And, and it's a quaint notion, I know. Um, but but more importantly, th- th- that's not the disclaimer because that's just sort of a weasel thing. Like, oh, I got the vaccine. I, I, who cares? No, you don't care about my personal health. Um, here's what you care about, your health. And so I just want to give you the disclaimer that's critically important and 100% accurate. I am a radio host. I am not a doctor. I do not give medical advice. Hopefully nothing you have heard from me tonight even comes close to sounding like medical advice or any encouragement for you to do anything with your body other than what you choose to do with it. that if, if I'm giving you any advice, it's like, you know what, you're free. You should act it. That's, what I, that's my advice to you. But if, if anything that, I'm, that you're hearing from me sounds like medical advice about whether you should get the vaccination or you shouldn't get the vaccination, whether you should socially distance or you should, whether you should be isolated or you shouldn't, whether uh, you, know, you should use this therapeutic or that therapeutic, if you're coming to me for medical advice, you're going to die. Okay, I cannot, I cannot be clearer in my disclaimer and warning for you. You know how lawyers always, you know, make you put the small print and you, you do it, and it's all using legal weasel words, and you're not quite sure what it is, but, yeah, oh, fine, I'll sign here because I want to rent the car, right? Um, and and, and oh, for that matter, when you get a vaccine, have you ever noticed when you bring your child in for all their vaccines or their booster? I've got four kids, so I've been through this process, okay? And it's, it's a remarkable thing when your little beautiful pristine little three-year-old who trusts you and 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 knows that you're going to protect her your whole life because you're daddy and you've always protected her and you anytime she gets an owie you make sure that she gets a lollipop and a kiss on her forehead and she's your little daughter and she had her first fever and you had to help her with the medicine and then she slept on your shoulder all night long you slept in the lazy boy instead of putting her down in the crib because when you put her down in the crib it would wake her up and I, And I'm not speaking hypothetically. I've had all these experiences with my children. And you take them in, and they're ready to get their shots, and they're three years old, and the nurse walks in with all the shots lined up there, sitting there with the needles, and your kid knows exactly what's going on. It's like they're born with a gene. 
where they, they, see, they see the hypodermic needle and the screams begin. They know exactly what's happening. And, and the nurse hands you documentation printed on both sides, multiple paragraphs, tiny little print, single-spaced, with all the obligatory precautions and warnings that you're saying. And you're supposed to read that before your kid gets the shot. And it's all the lawyers and all the pharmaceutical companies and all the doctors and all the medical professionals. It's like, if these things are so safe, why are you giving me all this documentation to read that I should be worried and warned about? You know, well, yeah, hey, we warned you. We gave you the documentation. And then you hand your kid off to this nurse. And many of them have very good bedside matters, but not all of them do. And they pin your kid down on the bed. You're supposed to hold her torso so she can't buck around too much. And, she gets out, and your child looks at you so betrayed. How could you do this to me? How could you let her do this to me? So they give you all those. Those lawyers and those doctors and the Democrat media complex, when they get your kids the vaccine, they give you all that lawyerly small print, and you're not sure what to make of it. Here's me. I'm giving you a warning in very large, easy-to-read letters. If you take my medical advice, you will be dead. So don't listen to it. I'm not a doctor. would never pretend to be one. I mean... Other than a doctor of romance. But that's a whole other show. But I do want to spin off one thing that Shirley in Newport Beach said there, because it may have been jarring for some of you to hear. When she said, they lie a lot. These public, this Democrat media complex, they lie. The Democrat media complex lied about AIDS, she said, and they lie about other things. And, and let's just be clear here. She's right. They lied about AIDS. I'm, I'm old enough to remember that we were told that every single person in this country was equally at risk to contract AIDS. And I remember going through the time, and I was a single man in the early 90s, and I remember when I was, you know, dating, let's say. I was, that dating was my activity. I, would like, I liked dating very much so. I dated a lot of people, women. And so I went in to get my, my HIV test because, you know, that was, there was a time, for those of you who are not old enough to know this, in the late 80s, early 90s, mid-90s, if you were, you know, dating, let's say, and, 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 and having various relationships, now I'm back to the doctor of romance thing. I, I didn't think I was going to be doing this show tonight. Uh, you, you sort of, there was a time there. You think you need a vaccination card now to get a pizza? Oh, th there was a paperwork exchange to have, you know, a, a, a makeout session, let's say, or what have you. This was this was the culture that we were living in. That it was sort of standard protocol and expected that if you were going to have a romantic life, you needed to have papers to prove that you didn't carry the HIV virus. So I remember going in for my test, and I'm filling out the questionnaire. And it's like, yes, I'm I'm a straight man. I've only been in monogamous relationships. Um, I don't participate in any of the, you know, listed dangerous activities that are here. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an intravenous drug user. I'm not a hemophiliac. I don't take blood transfusions. I'm, I'm like saying no to all of these things. And the doctor comes up to, you know, draw the blood for the test. And he says, so why are you here? And I'm like, well, doctor, because, because anybody's vulnerable. Everyone's equally vulnerable. Everyone. And he said, well, yeah, I know they say that, but it's not true. <laughs> 
if you're if you're a straight man and you've pretty much been in monogamous relationships and you don't engage in dangerous activities like you know these things are risky I should say instead of dangerous um, and if you're not an intravenous drug user and you don't do this you know, you're pretty much fine but they did lie they lied and they've acknowledged after the fact that they lied they lied because they were afraid that if the American public and the government thought that this was a disease that would only affect gay men and drug users then it wouldn't get the attention or the funding that they wanted. So they lied. They lied. We were told that heterosexual AIDS was going to be the biggest epidemic that killed more people in this world than anywhere else, and it's not true, especially in America. They lied. And they're still lying. I bring to your attention the uh, director of health for the New York Department of Health. She's the interim director. She's in charge of New York State health policy. Here she is under oath recently talking about the reports that they've put out about children's hospitals. Remember all these reports about, oh, in Florida and in New York and in Washington, D.C., the rates of children being admitted to the hospitals because of COVID-19 are skyrocketing. This is the next big thing. Children are at risk. Children are going to die. The hospitals are jammed full of children who have COVID. Remember all of that? Remember all of those headlines? Now here we are, the last week of December of 2021, and under oath giving testimony, Dr. Mary Barrett, the head of the New York Department of Health. Uh, and uh, the numbers that we gave on pediatric admissions weren't intended to make it seem that children were having, um, you know, having a, uh, uh, an epidemic of infection. These were small numbers that we reported in our health alert. Uh, there, that was based on 50 hospitalizations, and I've now given you some larger numbers, but they're still uh, small numbers. It really is to motivate pediatricians and families to seek the protection of vaccination. Did you get that? Yeah, we, we put these numbers out there, and we made it sound worse than it was, but in reality, they were pretty small numbers. Up to 50 hospitalizations, just so you know, in the city of New York, across five boroughs with uh, close to 10 million people, 50 hospitalizations of children is nothing. Nothing. That's a shooting spree in south side of Chicago on any given night. But why? Why did they put the numbers out there in the way that they did? What was the reason that they lied? Based on 50 hospitalizations, and I've now given you some larger numbers, but they're still uh, small numbers. It really is to motivate pediatricians and families to seek the protection of vaccination. To motivate pediatricians and families to get the vaccination. To motivate them. That's an interesting word. All right, listen, we have these numbers. It shows hospitalizations of children in New York. And, you know, last month we had 25 hospitalizations. Now we have 50. It's doubled. We can put this out there and say the numbers have increased 100%. It's the biggest increase we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic. This, right, if we continue at this rate, it's going to be, right? There's ways you can say all of these numbers to scare the hell out of you. In one month, they've had a 100% increase of hospitalizations of children with COVID. That's outrageous. Well, if it was only five last month and it's 10 this month, yeah, that's a 100% that's increase. But is it really that big of a deal? So they put it out there. And why? To 
motivate pediatricians and parents to get the vaccination. Motivate. Hell of a word she used there. Motive. We hey, we need to motivate people. So we're going to make these numbers sound worse than they are so that they will be motivated. Let me, let me rephrase that for you, Doc. See, you're a doctor, and yeah, you've got all the medical advice, and, and yes, if I'm sick, I'm going to ask your advice, I suppose. But you're now venturing into public health policy here, Doc. This is what I mean by the Democrat media complex, excuse me, Democrat medical complex. You're a doctor, you're a doctor, that's fine, treat patients. Now you're venturing into policy. You're venturing into working hand in glove with mostly Democrats in authoritarian positions to impose sanctions, mandates, and lockdowns on the rest of us, thus removing our freedom of choice and freedom of, of most things over the last two years in our lives. So now, Doc, you're taking numbers, you're massaging them, and using words to compel people to do what you com- demand they do. So your wheelhouse is medicine, My wheelhouse is language. My wheelhouse is words. My wheelhouse is to communicate ideas. So so let's just hear your words again, and then I'll use my words that pretty much say what you're saying. It's still uh, small numbers. It really is to motivate pediatricians and families to seek the protection of vaccination. Yeah. So we, we gave you this information to motivate pediatricians and parents to get vaccinated. Put another way. We lied to scare you so you'd get the shot. We lied to you. And, and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. And yes, yes, we're starting to turn this around. The fact that she's admitting this right now is a huge step forward. And I know we're supposed to extend grace to everybody. And God bless them. I want to give them as much grace as they want. But this is about our kids. Yeah, I know we've been lied to. And I know we've been told things so that we could modify our behavior to adhere and conform to what they demand us to. I know that. But this is our kids. And she's admitting now on behalf of the state of New York's Department of Health that they lied to scare parents to get their kids vaccinated. Otherwise, parents wouldn't have done it. They lied to scare you so you could give your kids the shot for a a virus that thank God over the course of these two years, the one shining thing about this damn virus is that our kids have been relatively safe, incredibly safe. In fact, I shouldn't even say relatively. And they lied. What party do you think Dr. Barrett belongs to? Who do you think she voted for in New York the last several elections? Democrat medical complex. I hope you see it now. We'll continue talking about it and taking your calls. At 871, excuse me, at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor, in for the great one, Mark. Mark Lovin. in for Mark Levin here on the 30th day of December, uh, talking about a broader question here where I'm asking people who might be in those vulnerable places, maybe you're elderly, maybe you have some comorbidities. We're told by the Democrat medical complex, we're told by Joe Biden, who, by the way, fits those categories himself. He's incredibly vulnerable from this virus, but he always seems to have his family around. We're told that you need to be isolated and protected from your loved ones 
lest you get this virus. And I don't get to hear your voice in this matter very often. I don't get to hear you say, no, 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 no. I'd rather run the risk, have my freedom, and enjoy my loved ones. I know my parents would say that. My 84-year-old dad has told me that. So what about you? How about Mary in the great city of Indianapolis, Indiana? Mary, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. What a worthy host. Where can I hear you in Indianapolis? Oh, that's so kind of you. I'm a local host in Washington, D.C. on WMAL, so you'll have to go to the Internet for that. But I appreciate those kind words. Okay. Okay. Um, when this came out, I'm middle 60s, and I have children that are younger. I have a 16, I, at the time when COVID started, I had a 16-and-a-half and a 19-and-a-half-year-old, both home from their respective schools all the time. And I told them then, I said, I am not willing to risk, I am not willing to save my own life to keep you under the control of the money they're going to dish out and the economy that they're going to crash yeah. Go on your go drive. Go on your bikes. Talk any friend you can into doing anything you can talk them into. Find a basketball court. Find a tennis court. Do something. Go out and be. And that was from day one. I was so angry about this. Mary, Thanks. what do you say to those people who who might be in your same age category and might be in the same situation? And and they're the exact opposite. There are other moms out there who are terrified. You know them. I'm sure they, they may be on your Facebook page or you've seen them at the park. They're terrified. They think you're reckless. They think you are endangering their children. I have lost lifelong friends over this. Oh. Because I wasn't willing to stand down. It's so horrible. And and yet, and, and you know, Mary, I was told that this president was going to unify all of us. He, he was going to keep us less polarized. He was going to bring us all together with his policies. The bless. The blessing is that all the conservative parents that had liberal kids, there's lots of liberal kids that have those conservative parents that now they're picking up some of their information. Mm. It's okay. You know, Mary, I think you're onto something there. In fact, I'm going to carry that idea over into the next. I can't carry you, sadly, Mary. Thank you for the call, and God bless you for your kind words. I think she's onto something. I'm one of those conservative parents with a couple of my children who uh, might be a little left of center, my oldest, my adult child. And uh, But I do see a little bit of a shift there. You can't lie to smart people very often without them catching on. And yeah, we've been lied to. And yes, we're catching on. Larry O'Connor. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin today on this 30th day of December. I'm the morning host on WMAL, which is the uh, huge powerhouse radio station, talk station in uh, the nation's capital. If you work on Capitol Hill, if you work in Washington, if you work in the Pentagon, if you work in the State Department, if you work in any of those federal agencies in Washington, D.C., and you want to listen to talk radio on your way in in the morning, I'm your host. That's what I do. That's who I talk to. And I love it. And I've been doing it for, uh, well, going on my 10th year now in Washington, D.C. Mark Levin also lives in the area. He's uh, he, I, he wakes up with me every day. I'm just That's all. I don't read too much into it. Uh, and listen, I know that, that you're probably, it's post-Christmas and you're in the haze and we're moving toward New Year's. Did you know that in Japan, 
they don't really celebrate Christmas in the same traditional way we do, mostly because Christianity is not the dominant religion there. But they do love the idea of the decorations and the giving of presents. New Year's is actually the day that they all give presents to each other. You know, here we got Christmas, and in England they got the Boxing Day thing, which I've never quite understood. Um, we do the Chris, uh, New Year's is when Japan. So I'd like to suggest to you that you start a new tradition here. We love the Japanese people. They're fine, fine culture, <coughs> you know, when they're not bombing us. Uh, but, you know, I don't hold a grudge. You know, that's all uh, water under the bridge. We took care of business, and uh, now we're fine. Um, I say we start a, uh, a new uh, Japo-American trend. Ja- is it, is it, it, it there's, uh, no, Sino is Chinese. As I don't know, a Japanese-American trend here in America where we start giving New Year's presents. Wouldn't that be cool? And, of course, of course, the only present that you should give people this New Year's is Mark Levin's incredible bestseller, the most important book of 2021 and probably the most important book of 2022, for that matter, American Socialism, especially, especially with the elections coming up. And I just want to reiterate, this is a great book to give to your kids even your kids, in fact, especially the kids that don't agree with you politically. Just, and, and here's the deal that you make with them. You say, listen, I will read the book of your choosing. You give me a book that you think I should read that explains where you are politically or what your concerns are politically and sort of fleshes things out for you so that I understand where you're coming from politically. And you read a book of the, uh, of the same nature that I provide to you. And that's right. And this is a way that you as a parent with your children who may disagree with you politically, and God knows there's a lot of that out there. I'm one of them. This is a way for you to continue a dialogue instead of all the shutting down and cancellation and the, the whole, oh, I can't talk to you because you press and you're just like uh, the, th- these these children of ours are learning that their parents are not worthy of their time or patience, or even love. It's an undermining of the basic structures of the family in this country. And in a Judeo-Christian society, there's a reason for the fact that the socialists hate religion. And they're trying to undermine the basic bonds of our relationship with our children. If you look at it, it's an amazing thing. As I was reading uh, Mark Levin's American Socialism for the first time, I'm, I'm in the middle of it the second time now. I'm doing the audio book this time around. Um, I was struck by the comparisons of, 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 of socialism and religion. It is their religion, but if you think about it, everything in their religion, the socialist religion, is the antithesis of the Judeo-Christian ethic that we all know and love if you are a f- faithful person and a believing Christian or, or, or Jew. Um, it undermines it. And I'm not trying to leave Muslims out. I just, I honestly, to be honest and completely upfront with you, I, I have not learned enough about their religion to know one way or the other. I know that they, they're they Mosaic and uh, believe in Abraham, and then they believe that Christ was a a great prophet. I, my problem is that you can't believe that Christ was a great man and a great prophet and at the same time not recognize that he was Messiah because— then you're calling him a liar, and what great prophet is a liar, right? So that's, I, I, and again, I don't want to get into a deep theological discussion here, but I just, I, what I do know is the Jewish religion and the Christian religion because of my studies there, and and the fact is when you look at socialism, everything that props up socialism is antithetical to Christianity and and Judaism, including this this forced division that they have imposed 
on our society over the last several years, especially during the Trump years, if you think about it, it was during the Trump years where our children were motivated to behave like the youth of the Cultural Revolution under Mao in the 60s to start publicly shaming their parents, to to ostracize their own parents, to separate themselves from their parents, to even turn in their own parents for daring to think outside of the statist box. And and yes, that was popularized in the Cultural Revolution under Mao. It's certainly happening today. If you look at, go, go down the rabbit hole of social media and Instagram and TikTok and, and look at the things that your children are encouraged to do in confronting their own parents on their racism. They're, they're encouraged and given tools and lessons in how to do this. Here's how you confront your parents over Christmas on their white privilege. I'm not joking. This is a very popular trend on social media, and you might not like it, and you may think it's not important, but I'm telling you, your kids are looking at it, and they're learning from it. And if you just had a really ugly Christmas because some of your kids, teenagers or young kids in college, came at you, on your racism and on your politics, it's because it's a popular thing to do. And then they go back and they do a little monologue to their phone and talk about, you know, in near tears about what it was like to com- c- confront their parents on their sexism and their racism and their homophobia and their, their transphobia or whatever it is that they confronted you on. And then their little video explaining what just happened gets posted and gets a bunch of, you know, gets a bunch of uh, 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 views and such. This is what's happening. And this is what socialists try to do when they separate their children from their parents. And I bring it back to the basic fundamental structure of the American family, or you could even say Western civilization through the family and how families are the structures of Western civilizations from the beginning of Western civilization, those Judeo-Christian families. And what is the, what is the, the basis of the morality within those families? Well, it's the the scriptures and the Ten Commandments. And there it is, right there in the middle of the Ten Commandments, just just shooting out at you in big, bold print, like the chaser lights around the logo of Chicago on Broadway. Jazz hands and all. You can't miss it. When you look at the list, honor your father and mother. When your kids come at you over your politics and start calling you names and start ostracizing you, or this blackmail that we've seen, over the last several years, where if you vote for this person or this party, it is violence toward me, your child. Do you hear this? It's all meant to undermine that one basic tenant honor your father and mother. Look at what socialism is doing right now in this country and juxtapose everything that they stand for with the Ten Commandments, the idol worship of the state over the Lord. The theft, I mean, that's a pretty easy one, isn't it? Thou shalt not steal is pretty clear. And when you look at the socialist agenda, when you look, and, 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 and let's just be clear here. I mean, there's, there's socialism and there's socialism. You're hearing people, politicians say that student loans should be forgiven across the board. You owe $100,000 in student loans and you get a doctorate in some unemployable profession. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay that back. It's forgiven. That's theft, my friends. That's theft. I didn't go to college. Why am I supposed to pay for their college education? I took care of my kids with their college tuition. 
So why are you taking my money to pay for your doctorate in anthropology? That's theft. Look at the Ten Commandments. Look at everything that socialism stands for. This is what I do. When I was reading Mark's book, it just stuck out to me that all of these things that they do, theft, obviously, coveting your neighbor's ox and what have you, Ten Commandments, socialism, all that... The covetous, envious nature of socialism is what motivates it and animates it. If, if there's no coveting, if no one covets and no one steals, there's no socialism. And then, of course, there's the murder. I mean, they don't come right out and say it. But if you look at the track record, hard to overlook all the murder whether it's Stalin or whether it's Lenin. Oh, I know I know. everyone likes to glorify Lenin. So, oh, no, Stalin was the problem. No, Lenin was a murderous thug, too. Or Mao or Chavez or Castro or pick one, Pol Pot. Oh, boy, there, he's a stud, isn't he? When it comes to murder, there's a whole lot of murder going on when you implement socialist policies. Bing, there it is in the Ten Commandments. But let's not, those are the easy ones. Coveting, s- stealing, killing, murdering. Certainly putting a God before our one Lord that's, you know, elevating. I mean, let's face it, Karl Marx did say that religion is the opiate of the masses, right? I mean, for socialism to work, you must replace God. You can't have a higher belief or a higher being because nothing is higher than the state. So there's that commandment out the window as well. Idol worship is pretty obvious. But then there's honoring your mother and father. Because ultimately, for a socialist state to take hold in a country where the older generation, and sadly as a Gen Xer, I'm now part of the older generation, for those of us who remember and came of age in the Ronald Reagan administration, who embrace the idea that government is not the solution to the problem, but government is the problem, who embrace the freedoms and liberties and and the idea of getting government out of our way so that we, the American people, can thrive and build things that would have never existed if the government were in charge. Well, we must be ostracized and separated from society for socialism to work now, because as long as we believe what we believe, socialism will never take hold. So what's a good way to undermine those of us who currently have the power in this nation? Get them through their children. Warp their children's minds and then turn their children on their parents. And I have seen parent after parent after parent friends of mine who are faced with the dilemma. Do I, do I support this person publicly, politically? If it hurts my child, if it means that I can't have a relationship with my child, I mean... Are you making me pick between Donald Trump and my child? Well, of course I'm going to take my child. And besides, it's just me. It's just me. This one person It's just my one vote. What difference will that make? Does it sound familiar? Have you heard that? Have you thought that? Have you been confronted with that? It's real. And this is why, back to my original thought, it would be a nice present. To give those children, say, listen, I'll read your book. You, you go ahead and give me Ibram X. Kendi's uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I will read it with an open mind, and we can discuss it because I want to understand you. You read Mark Levin's American Socialism, and then we'll meet, and then we'll discuss. I implore you, do that.
I'm not saying it's going to fix everything, but it's better than not having a relationship with your child at all. Just a thought. All right, coming up, I want to hear more from you, a little bit more on COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And I want to delve into something that Joe Rogan said. I don't like to spend too much time talking about podcasters or broadcasters, for that matter. But what Joe Rogan said, a very popular, wildly popular podcaster about Michelle Obama and about Barack Obama, you should take note of, especially viewed through the lens of what it means to be a conservative in this country right now. You know, there's a lot of people out there who receive the title of influential, popular, conservative thought leader, and we don't really know a whole lot about them. And before we start putting our faith in them and start, you know, uh, putting them up on pedestals that they don't necessarily deserve, and for that matter, didn't really ask for, we better stop for a moment because conservatism is something that means very specific things. Not everybody fits that mold. And I want to talk about Joe Rogan in that regard in just a moment, plus your calls, as I mentioned, as we continue talking uh, about our children. I mean, that really is what it's all about, whether it's the political discussions we have with our children or whether it's our ability to even see our children and our grandchildren, or for that matter, our grandparents, if the government will allow us during the pandemic. Our voice should be heard in that equation, shouldn't it? Yes, it will, right here at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor in... For the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin here. And I've been remiss. You all have been holding the lines of been jammed the whole time. And I got it to get to more of you. So many of the uh, fine Mark Levin ladies, the ladies of Levin, we like to refer to them, by the way. There was, a, there was a whole spread in a, a certain magazine years ago, The Ladies of Levin. I still have a copy of a collector's item. Pretty nice stuff. Uh, Mark does have the hottest listeners in all of talk radio. So I want to get to – there's so many of ladies out there. How about Karen in Auburn, Alabama? Karen, I want you to know I, uh, I sponsor a midshipman here at the Naval Academy in the Annapolis area who is from – the Auburn area. He's a big Tigers fan. So uh, so uh, your, your nominee to the Naval Academy is being well taken care of. Thanks for calling in. Oh, that's fabulous. I have a granddaughter that will be there in the fall. Oh, God bless you. Well done. Yes. Anyway, I was really touched by um, what you were saying about people uh, that are older and have just gone on with their lives. And I just thank God that uh, since March of uh, 20, when the lockdown happened, our family was all together. Uh, we are, my husband and I are in our early 70s. We have a mother in her early 90s. Oh, God bless her. And on the weekend of the lockdown, uh, the one family went back to Houston. The other family stayed here. I have 12 grandchildren. And over these few, uh, you know, the year and year plus now, we have just gone about living our lives, not in fear, yeah. but just trying to be diligent about being cautious with one another. But in that time, we've had, uh, they came over for a birthday party in April of 20, had it all outside. Mm-hmm. We've had weddings, baby shower, funeral, uh-huh. Easter, two Thanksgivings, two Christmases together, in this huge family of 12 grandchildren and now two great-grandchildren. So, and my mother 
life has gone on, in other words. Life has and, gone and on. And you have not isolated God. yourself, and you refused to be protected in sort of bubble wrap, Karen. And, and listen, and everyone has to make their choices, but it warms my heart to hear that you made that choice. Karen, thank you for the call. I saw a video, I think it came out of Australia, where they showed these two people, a husband and wife, in their 90s. And they were seeing each other for the first time in over a year and a half because they had been isolated. And everyone said, oh, how heartwarming. It didn't warm my heart. It pissed me off. The Mike Levin Show. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Cutter, sitting here for the great one, Mark Levin. And uh, a couple things you should know about me. I'm a radio host, morning host on WMAL in Washington, D.C., the entire greater Washington area in mid-Atlantic. You can stream us live. It's a pretty, pretty great radio station. Uh, and Mark Levin, of course, is on it. That's why it's a great radio station. Uh, you should know that about me. You should know that I'm originally from Michigan, and therefore I am uh, just, uh, the countdown has begun. 24 hours from now, we will be one hour into the Orange Bowl, where Michigan will be dominating the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm very excited about that. I, honestly, it's a dream come true to see Michigan beat Ohio State the way they did, win the Big Ten, and now make their way for the first time into the national championship round of four. Uh, this for a team that wasn't even ranked at the beginning of the year. We thought this was Harbaugh's last year, and now we won Coach of the Year. I mean, this is a phenomenal. So you should know that about me, that uh, there's a whole lot of Wolverine stuff going on right now in my life. Go blue. Um, and thirdly, I think the other thing that you should know about me is already sort of um, obvious uh, based on the last 30 minutes of this radio program, if you're listening, and that is I am a complete and total utter moron because – Obviously, Mark's book is American Marxism, and and I literally am reading it a second time on audiobook. I could, if 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 you were uh, uh, watching me right now, I could show you my audiobook account and show you that I'm halfway through it right now. American uh, Marxism, but I, in my mind, you know how it is. When I don't, you know, those people on television, they have scripts, they have teleprompters, they're reading everything they tell you. I know, I've been in the studios with them. I read along sometimes. It's fun. I'm not taking anything away from them. They're very good at reading teleprompters. We in radio, we don't read. You know that, right? Well, that's not true. There are a couple of radio hosts that are obviously reading their monologues. You can you can kind of tell, actually. No, in fact, they're very good at it. God knows they're more successful than I am, I suppose. I just can't. If I read something, you would know it. Uh, we don't read. We don't have. We have, sometimes we have notes in front of us, some things you know to remind us what we wanted to talk about. But I think that the most effective talk radio host is incredibly conversational as possible. And when you're really conversational and you're just having a three-hour conversation with, with, with someone, that that person is going to make some mistakes. That would get and I and I don't know why. Just off the top of my head, I was talking about his way. I mean, here's the thing. The good news is that proves I'm not reading a script. It proves that I don't even have the basic notes in front of me about Levin's book. I'm really sorry about that. Of course, it's American Marxism. And thank you for those of you who have uh, gently reminded uh, Mr. Call Screener there. <laughs> I apologize. All right. Let's, uh, but I am a complete and total moron. That's important to know. Uh, speaking of which, here's Joe Rogan. Now, Joe, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that Joe Rogan is a moron. God forbid. No. Uh, he's an incredibly popular podcaster. Very different than broadcasting, by the way. Uh, we can get into that another time. Uh, Joe Rogan is a podcaster, and he has a podcast. He makes millions and millions of dollars 
on Spotify. And he said this. Uh, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. He said this. If Michelle Obama, I, I really believe if yeah. Michelle Obama runs, she, she win. wins. Yeah. I think she wins. She's good. She's great. Yeah. She's, she's intelligent. Yeah. She's articulate. She's right. the wife of the best president that we right. have had right. in our lifetime in right. terms of like a representative of yeah. an intelligent, sure. articulate people. Yeah. That they, she, she could win. All right. couple things. Couple couple observations here. Uh I have a simple question for you. Does that sound like a conservative to you? Do you know anybody in your life, in the public sphere, private sphere, someone on your Facebook page, anybody that's in your family, friend, people you work with, people you stand on the sideline at your kid's soccer game, which isn't really a soccer game. It's just a bunch of little kids chasing a ball around. Uh, is there anybody that you know that would hear somebody say something like that and call themselves a conservative? Is there anyone in your life that you have discussed that you know, oh, yeah, that's a real conservative person. Oh, sh her? Sh oh, she's incredibly conservative. Yeah, she loves Phyllis Schlafly and all that stuff. Uh, do you know any conservative in your life who would say that about both Michelle Obama and Barack Obama? I mean, I assume she, I mean, Michelle Obama wasn't married to Ronald Reagan, was she? Because Joe Rogan just said that Michelle Obama was married to the greatest president of our lifetime. And I was unaware that she was married to Ronald Reagan. Does that sound like a conservative to you? That, that's one observation. My other observation, by the way, just in a pure broadcasting standpoint, can we? I, I, I want this business model in my life. I want. She's listen, great. Yeah, she's, she's intelligent. Yeah. She's articulate. She's right. the wife of the best president that we right. have had right. in our lifetime in right. terms of like a representative. Of yeah. Can I get somebody in studio with me? I don't need to know who what their name is. Uh, neither do you. I just want someone in studio with me who constantly just affirms every other syllable that I say. Can we get? Wouldn't that be great radio? We should, this, Mr. Call Screener, Mr. Pre, we we could put you on the air with me, and as I'm talking, in the middle of the sentence, I say, "Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah." I mean, who doesn't want to listen to that? She's great. Yeah, she's, she's intelligent. Yeah. she's articulate. She's right. the wife of the best president that we right. have had right. in our lifetime. <laughs> in terms of like a representative, of yeah, an intelligent, sure. articulate. People. Oh my god. That is impossible. I mean, listen, again, I'm not going to knock Joe Rogan because he's doing something I'm not doing. You know, um, he's, he's, trust me, he's making a ton of money at Spotify. Here's the thing about Joe Rogan. I saw people saying that he is a conservative thought leader. Right up until like a week ago, they were saying he's a conservative thought leader. Does that sound like a conservative to you? There's a broader story here. This isn't about Joe Rogan. I, I couldn't care less about Joe Rogan. Live his life. He's a good guy. He seems pretty cool. I like how he does the commentary on the uh, uh, UFC fights. And uh, but let's face it, he's a creep. Whenever anybody says, "Oh, that Joe Rogan, he's a real right wing conservative," I'm like, "Wait a what? Joe Rogan? He's a creature of Hollywood. He did hosted a reality show where people would eat." gross things for money you know hey eat this cockroach okay for how much you know it's like literally that was his claim to fame right and he was a stand-up comedian he came out of that world that's not known for fostering the most in deep thinking constitutional republicans right and conservative voices conservative thought leaders but he's in spoken word radio and uh, and I guess he doesn't toe the typical liberal line, and he goes after CNN if he thinks CNN has lied about him. And uh, and he, I guess he didn't get vaccinated, and he took ivermectin when he got COVID-19. And suddenly, uh, not only was he a conservative thought leader because of that, I guess, uh, they were ready to cancel him. Now, let me be clear with you right now. There was an imminent cancellation of Joe Rogan because he was too closely affiliated with anti-vax right-wing Trumpers. 
They were going to cancel him. They were petitioning Spotify to take him off of their entire system, thus bankrupting Joe Rogan of the tens of millions of dollars he makes on an annual basis doing that podcast. I want to announce to you today that as of now, the cancellation of Joe Rogan has been, at the very least, postponed. Apparently, we don't have to cancel Joe Rogan anymore. Why? Well, because he fed the beast. If Michelle Obama, I, I really believe, if yeah. Michelle Obama runs, she, might she win. wins. Yeah. I think she wins. She's good. She's great. Yeah, she's, she's intelligent. Yeah. Now, to um, venture into some political analysis here, and God forbid I contradict a great and informed political mind like Joe Rogan, because, you know, I mean, I, I'm just a talk show host in Washington, D.C., where we talk about American politics and electoral politics and policy and our federal government and elections, like, on a daily basis. Uh, but but that doesn't mean I have any sort of divine knowledge or anything. But, but, but So, listen, he has his opinion, I have my opinion, and more importantly, you have your opinion. Can I just dare to disagree with Joe Rogan on this? Um I'm pretty sure that if Michelle Obama, I don't even think Michelle Obama gets the nomination if she tries to be nominated in the Democratic Party. And I really don't think she wins. By the way, I don't even think she tries. Why should she? Michelle Obama has never had to win an election in her life. She's never actually had to do anything of consequence where she actually was held accountable for her actions, at least in her public life. Her job has been to be the wife of a senator and a president. There's no Senate confirmation for that. There's no hearings where you actually have to answer for yourself and explain why you've done what you've done. She is incredibly popular. She writes a book. She didn't even have to write it herself, and she makes gajillions. She's got, what, five houses now? She sits on the board and is a creative mind at Netflix where if she and her husband wanted to, they could take tens of millions of dollars of other people's money and create whatever film or show or series they want to deliver whatever message political or cultural that they wish and have it immediately streamed into tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of households worldwide viewed mostly by young millennials and Gen Zers who will be influenced by her political message that she's embedded into that streaming show with other people's money, I remind you again, that actually has more of an impact on our culture and on our politics than anything a president might do. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, will Michelle Obama run for president? I mean, why should she take the pay cut? Or for that matter, why should she lessen her actual influence? Frankly, she's less dangerous in the Oval Office. She's not running for president. And this is just asinine political analysis. But the larger lesson for us to walk away with here as conservative Republicans is we got to stop this. We got to stop this thing that we do. That the second somebody who's popular and has a high profile and is actually, you know, liked by a bunch of people says one thing that we agree with 
and we suddenly wrap ourselves around them and say, ah, here's the next He's our guy. Joe Rogan should run for president. Joe Rogan is the voice of the new generation of conservatives in America. And And I know this sounds like I'm beating up on Joe Rogan. I assure you, I don't think Joe Rogan wants to be called a conservative thought leader. I think I'm doing him a favor here, to be honest. I like Joe Rogan. I think he's a good guy. I think he's incredibly talented. I like what he does. I don't think he's a conservative thought leader. Neither does Joe Rogan. Why do we do this? I could name a bunch of other people. Matthew McConaughey is another one. Because Matthew McConaughey has dared to speak out against some liberals and some Democrats in his industry and in politics. And he's dared to speak the true fact that the way his industry in Hollywood and the way the Democrats in Washington discuss, talk about, and treat people who are not liberal Democrats, they've alienated them and they've polarized our country. Matthew McConaughey has said that and not much more about politics but because he said that suddenly everybody wants him to run for office because they think he's a conservative he might be i don't know but shouldn't we wait for somebody to have a little bit more of a track record here's a hint for you i just i think we should start using a, a a certain litmus test when it comes to people's public pronouncements and public statements about our politics and about our culture. If they don't spend a whole lot of time talking about our constitution, if they don't spend a whole lot of time talking about our rights and about our freedoms and about our founders and about the role of government in our lives, the limited role of government in our lives, if they don't spend a whole lot of time talking about these very big, important, fundamental issues that every American can embrace and understand and digest and champion, if they don't do that, they're probably not really conservative. Now, I'm not saying they're liberal. I'm not saying they're socialist. I'm just, I'm just saying I want my conservative thought leaders to spend a whole lot of time talking about my freedoms and about my constitution and about our founding and about how great this country is and about how what's ruining it are the people who don't talk about the constitution, who want to overlook the constitution, who want to send the constitution into a shredder. That's who I want as my conservative thought leader. So the next time somebody like this comes up, it's like, wow, yay, Joe Rogan is talking out against the vaccine and he's talking about ivermectin and he's pushing back against CNN and he's saying all these things. It's like, okay, fine, good for him. That doesn't make him the second coming of Ronald Reagan. But we do this. God, we fall into this trap. And, and, and here's the end result of it. Here's the end result of it runs she might she win. wins yeah i think she wins she's good she's great yeah she's, she's intelligent yeah. she's articulate she's right. the wife of the best president that we right. have had right. in our lifetime that man that that so many of you just propped up as our next great voice representing conservatives in america just said that barack obama was the greatest president of our lifetime i beg to differ most conservatives i know would as well I'm Larry O'Connor, sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin.
and I really do like Joe Rogan's show. I do. I do. I never met the guy. I like what he does on USC. I just, that's, again, I'm pretty sure he would agree with me. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. He doesn't want to be seen as some conservative thought leader. By the way, cynically speaking, I think he did this whole embracing of Michelle Obama. Oh, gosh, she's a, Barack's the best president we've ever had. And if she ran, she'd win. She would, no problem. Absolutely, easily. Uh, this is a way to sort of, you know, quell. I, I was only half joking when I said, well, you know, he's he's bought some insurance here. They're not going to cancel him now. You know, you're on Spotify. You're making hundreds of millions of dollars. You're supposed to get a ton of downloads. Uh, and uh, and supposed to be, you know, not necessarily a a narrow casted presentation for just, you know, a certain number of a type of political people. You want to be accessible and seen as, you know, it's it's more than just one political message that you're spewing out there. Uh, then you do something like this so that Spotify can say, oh, well, listen, he's not, you know, a right winger or anything like that. Look, he loves Obama. Trust me, trust me, me sitting in for Mark Levin, criticizing Joe Rogan, saying that he's wrong and saying, please, let's not start embracing him as a conservative thought leader. Let's actually be a little more circumspect before we start jumping on on this bandwagon. I assure you, this helps his cause with Spotify. This helps his cause. You're welcome, Joe. Send me some UFC swag. Let's go to Joseph in New York City listening on the mighty, the legendary WABC. Joseph, you're on. I'm Larry O'Connor, the Mark Levin Show. Harry, Joseph. Name? Oh, it's hey, Joe Larry. in Long Island. You know, this is Happy. funny. We've got two Joes, both in the New York area. So now I'm going to get to both of you. We'll start with Joe in Long Island. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, thank you. I was like, I was talking to me. How you doing? <laughs> I'm enjoying your show. Uh, listen, I, I heard that. I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but I could never. I, and I won't listen to him now because I hear that and I'm like, are you kidding me? I would never, even in my worst, Say Barack Obama was the greatest president, one of the best presidents. I could never mistake in that. He was the worst. Yeah. He was the exact polar opposite. The man was horrible. What he did, and this is the third term of uh, Biden here, third term of Obama, what's going on. Barack Obama, we could do the whole thing. He was a communist, and he's a racist, too. He comes from the school of uh, Louis Farrakhan, same as Michelle Obama. That's where they come from. So he should read a little history, Dreams of My Father or something. These yeah. are communists. And Joe, wanted- thank you. He, he's hardly the best president of our lifetime. He's not even the best president of the last century or century and a half and hardly governed like I would want from an American president. You're right. Thank you, Joe. Well, well said. Joseph in New York City. Real fast, Joseph. You're on The Mark Levin Show. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, you hit the nail on the head. We as conservative Republicans have to stop automatically running to conclusions and building a roof with no walls and thinking because some liberal said something that we spit sense. That's right. They're automatically on our team. And stop bandwagon jumping. That's correct. We have a conservative thought leader. His name is Mark Levin, and I had the honor of filling in. Happy New Year.